Your actions in your life will be a result of what you believe. Resurrection of Christ for your coming resurrection, and it also will strengthen your present spiritual walk. As I think of 1 Corinthians 15 and the historical, uh, biblical context within which we find the Apostle Paul writing the book of 1 Corinthians to the church at Corinth, these believers had a lot of problems. We won't take time to unpack them, but almost every chapter he hits another problem. Each chapter seems to be dedicated to a problem that they've got. Things like there's a lack of unity in the churches. Some of them say, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Christ. Or they had immorality within the church, and the church members were saying, oh, look at us, we aren't legalistic by trying to tell these people to not live in immorality, but instead we're accepting of them. And he goes, you're wrong. You need to straighten the problems in the church. Some of them were taking each other to court. All sorts of problems in the church at Corinth. And one of the problems manifested itself in 1 Corinthians 15. He addressed it, we saw it last week, somewhere around verse number 12 and 13, if Christ be preached that He rose not from the dead. So there were some people in the church at Corinth that were publicly saying Christ did not raise from the dead. That's a problem. And that will impact how you live. Look down to verse 34. Uh, Verse 33, be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. In other words, you let other people influence the way you think. Namely, there's no resurrection from the dead. Or namely, Christ did not raise from the dead. That's going to corrupt the way you think and the way you act. Remember, the way you believe is going to impact the way you act. So if you've got a problem with believing that Christ rose from the dead, and you've got a problem with believing that you will rise from the dead, you will start to act evil just like the world acts. Verse 34, awake, church, awake to righteousness, and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Paul did not just go on a two-verse rant in the middle of 1 Corinthians 15, the whole chapter talking about the resurrection of Christ and your own resurrection. He did not just pull off of that idea and then go for two verses to tell us people out there that are lost. No, he's saying direct. there are people out there that are lost as a result of your lack. And it's not your lack of faith that you didn't believe that you weren't going to get enough money. No, it's your lack of faith in the resurrection of Christ. Because you didn't believe that Christ rose from the dead, and you didn't believe that you're going to rise from the dead, you're living like the world. He goes, that's a problem. You should be ashamed of it. So that's the negative. And by the way, by the time we get to the end of the chapter, we'll see the positive to this. You see, how you believe will directly impact how you act. And I'll say it a different way. Resurrection is very important, we saw last week, for your salvation, but it's also very important for your sanctification. How do you live from the time you put your trust in Christ until the time you go home to be with Him in glory? As you walk through your spiritual life, you should be getting better and better and sinning less and less and loving Jesus more and more and hating sin more and more. And that will happen as a direct result of whether you believe the resurrection or not. And if you don't believe that you will rise from the dead, I'll just go ahead and skip to the way he says it. Let's just eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. It doesn't matter how you live. But he rose, you will rise, and it matters. 
there were a couple of common misconceptions there at in Corinth at that time, and we also have some common misconceptions in our time today. I'll mention two of them. One, maybe, perhaps, you're familiar with this, and if you're not, I'll just kind of give you an insight to what some people would believe. There's a thing that's often taught and, and spoken about called purgatory. Talk pizin, you mean by talk him clean by There is no mention of purgatory in all of Scripture. In fact, the idea of purgatory uh, it, it says something like this. If, you, uh, if you're not good enough to make it into heaven or you've not done enough good things, perhaps you've lived a sinful life, God won't send you to hell forever and God won't bring you to heaven, but instead you end up in purgatory and that's the idea. You go to purgatory, you pay off your debts and it might be a couple of weeks or maybe a couple of months or maybe you were really bad and it's a couple of years. And then after you come through that fire of trial, then you will be then brought to be with Jesus in heaven. I, I see two big problems with that. First, uh, that's nowhere in the scriptures. In fact, you first find out about it in church history in around the year 1100 is the first time. And then by the time 400 years of that doctrine being abused by the church, uh, that becomes a major issue with the Reformation where the church was saying, you know what, instead of them having to be there for that long, you can come and pay the church and then we'll let them out. I don't see any opportunity for me, a human being, to do anything for someone who's dead. I can't do that. That's God that has to do that. Second problem, and I think this is at a much deeper level, second problem is this idea of purgatory completely undermines the cross of Christ. Completely undermines it. For he went to the cross. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might gain the righteousness of God in him. So he goes to the cross and he pays everything that's required for my salvation. I pay nothing. That's the whole point of the gospel. I pay nothing. I cannot pay anything. I can never make God satisfied with my righteousness, for my righteousness is as filthy rags. And so God sent Jesus to the cross, and Jesus took every bit of it. And either you put your trust in Jesus, and He declares you as righteous, or you don't put your trust in Jesus, and you are condemned forever. This is a terrifying thought. Purgatory. Another one that is popular, and I think this is more confined to our society. Brother Eric, you might help me with pronunciation here. I think this is Lao Lao. Is that the right pronunciation? Lao Lao and Motu. Or in other languages, you would have their versions of it. It's very popular here in Papua New Guinea. It's not just PNG that we have this belief. There are other places around the world that have this belief. And if you're not familiar with the term, the idea is when someone dies, then their spirit is restless and perhaps their spirit will stick around. In some places, they say three days. Some say seven. Some say 30 days. Uh, some it's an indefinite period of time some it's forever they just wander the earth and this is unbiblical um, I remember a few years back being with a gentleman a guy I highly respect who wanted to do a sacrifice Becky was with me he did a sacrifice sacrificed the chicken and put the chicken in the fire and then the smoke from the chicken and he was talking to the ancestral spirits and he was saying things like, oh, I smell the hair from the pig. And he's telling the spirits that he's, he's, they've sacrificed a pig. If the spirits are hearing him, I'm wondering if they... <laughs> but there's nothing in the Scriptures that says anything about the spirits hanging around. In fact, 
We're, the, the scripture is very clear to the opposite. Second Corinthians chapter five and verse eight. We shared this verse last week. Paul says, I'm confident, we're confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. There is not a middle time where I left the body and I'm just kind of hanging around and floating around and waiting for my chance and maybe after a little while and I get that set time, then I get to go be with Jesus. No, as soon as you close your eyes in death, you open them immediately, either in hell to eternal damnation or in heaven for eternal bliss to be with Jesus forever. It's one or the other. And Scripture illustration of this fact. Give an example. Lazarus. I think this was Luke chapter 15. Lazarus is is living at the rich man's house or at the door of the rich man's house. You remember that? And Lazarus, the rich man, died. And the Scripture says, he died and in hell he lifted up his eyes. He went immediately to hell. Here, how about I give you another one? The other extreme. The thief on the cross. Do you remember the thief on the cross beside Jesus? And the thief on the cross looks to Jesus and says, Remember me. You remember what Jesus said to him? Not 30 days from now I'll see you in paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. There is no, I'm going to have to go and wander. No, there is hope. Brothers and sisters, when you close your eyes in death, if you put your trust in the Lord Jesus... The moment you close your eyes to be absent from the body, you're present with the Lord. This is a beautiful hope for us. If you're here, you've not put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hear me well. Close your eyes in death. That very moment, you will open them in eternal damnation where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. This is a terrifying thought. Oh, please, brothers, while you may, put your trust in the Lord Jesus. And there is something that I might just say pastorally. And I know, I know that if we gave an open mic, we would probably have 200 different stories of people who have heard a story about somebody who met somebody who has seen somebody come back from the dead. Saw their spirit. Their spirit came and talked to them. I've met with people, done counseling with people who have told me things like, Pastor, I have the spirits. They talk to me. I want to tell you, friend, there's nothing in Scripture that points to this. But if I look at Scripture closely, I do see that the demons have the ability to mimic humans. Very possible. And so if there's one thing overarching that I see from Scripture concerning the dead, there's one overarching thought. Stay away from it. Don't play with it. There's one guy in the scripture that did it. You might remember King Saul. He went to the witch at Endor and asked her, I need you to bring up Samuel from the dead. And you'll say, see, see, you can do that. You can bring it. No, 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 no. In that moment, Saul gets exposed as a fraud. Do you remember? Samuel came up. We don't even know for sure that it was Samuel. Remember what I said? A demon can mimic a human. And he will do everything. Satan will do everything he possibly can to confuse you. And up comes this Samuel. And as soon as Samuel appears, the witch that was sitting there, she looked at Saul and said, You're Saul! And suddenly Saul's sin gets exposed in that you're not supposed to mess with the dead. And God writes Saul off entirely for that act. 
That's the one time you see it in Scripture. So let me encourage you, brothers and sisters, if you've got some kind of inclination that maybe I have the ability to speak with the dead, can I encourage you as a believer, stay away from it. Just step back away from it and stick with Scripture and go, you know what, Scripture gives me a whole brand new, whole new filter from which I'm going to look at life. And please don't think I say that as a white guy. I also don't say that we need to take a sword out and fight against those who do. Just leave it alone. We don't need to take up a sword and fight against those who mess with the spirits. If there are those who are messing with the spirits, let them be. Strengthen your own walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll leave it there. Our overarching thought for today, the resurrection of Christ gives hope for your coming resurrection. And it gives strength for your present spiritual walk. That's our overarching theme. And I hope that we'll see that throughout this passage today. If I were to break up this passage, I come in across three major questions. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to just jump down right into the first question. Three major questions that I see in these 38 verses. The first one is, are we just wasting our time? Are we just wasting our time? I see this question kind of brought out in verses 29 to 32. So let's read verses 29 to 32, and I'll, I'll address, because as soon as I read verse 29, you're going to go, wait, I got some questions. So let me read verse 29. Verse 29 to 32, are we just wasting our time? Here's verse 29. Else, what shall they do which are baptized for the dead? If the dead rise not at all, why are they then baptized for the dead? And why stand we in jeopardy every hour? I press, protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. If after the manner of men I fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it me if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. So here's the question. I'm just wasting my time. Am I just wasting my time? And I guess we can just say it like this. Are we wasting our time by coming together as brothers and sisters and all of the trials that you go through as a Christian, are we just wasting our time? That's the question he's asking. Now come to the answer of that in just a moment. Let me just address verse 29. I think I would not be a good pastor expositorily preaching if I didn't address verse 29. Verse 29 gives us an, a statement, a question. He says, uh, what shall they do that are baptized for the dead if the dead rise not? And why be then baptized for the dead? This is an odd question. <laughs> because let's just take it on face value and go, can you get baptized for dead people? And there are some who have built an entire doctrine around this verse that if you do enough good things, then you can get somebody else out of hell. That's not what he's saying here. Perhaps, and I'll say perhaps, maybe... Somebody has come into Corinth and preached that. And maybe that's what Paul's speaking of. Because this idea is not spoken of anywhere else in Scripture. And anytime you come to Scripture and you've got a question about something, there's a verse that you're not understanding, the best way to interpret Scripture is with Scripture. So go to other places in Scripture. And where does Scripture say anything about this? Go to every passage that speaks on baptism and not a single one of them ever mentions baptism for the dead. This is the only place that you see anything about baptism for the dead. So I think about this and meditate on this, and I go, wait, Paul, in order for me to line this statement up with whatever else I've read in the Scriptures, how do I reconcile this? And the best I can come up with is something like this. Let's say I've been living as a wicked, sinful man. I don't love the Lord Jesus. I'm lost in my sin, and I'm headed to hell. 
But I see somebody else. Let's say I've got a good friend. I'll use Eric, for example. And I see Eric as a good friend. I'm a lost man, but he's a believer. And I watch as Eric, change, he gets saved, and then he gets baptized. And he lives a good life, and he's doing right, and God's changed him. And I realize, you know what? I need what he's got. And let's say I just delay and hang on, and then one day Eric closes his eyes in death, goes to sleep in the Lord, and his death awakens my mind to the fact that one day I too will die. And let's say, for example, in that moment, I get saved, I put my trust in Christ, I've seen his funeral, I've seen his life, and I realize I need to live right. And let's say, for example, I get saved, I get baptized, you could say... I got saved and I got baptized because of his testimony. Another way to say that would be, I got baptized because of the dead. Maybe that's what he's saying. If that's what he's saying, this argument fits. If I got saved and I got baptized because somebody else went ahead and he died and he's going to rise again, but the resurrection of the dead is not going to happen, well, then I wasted my time in getting saved and getting baptized. The next verse definitely fits this bill. As you come into verse 30, he says, why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? As the Apostle Paul, why do I face these trials? Second Corinthians, he listed off all of those different trials, being beaten with rods and shipwrecked. And he gave all of these different scenarios. One time he was on a ship that hit a storm that the storm was so big they named the storm Eurocladon. Can you imagine a storm that lasts 14 days so big that you name the storm? You're going to remember that for the rest of your life. He's on a ship in that because he's been preaching the gospel. He goes, if there's no resurrection of the dead, I'm wasting my time for 14 days hanging on for dear life. Wait, that ship shipwrecked. He washes up on the shore, picking up firewood, and a snake bites him. Why do I go through this? Am I wasting my time? If there's no resurrection from the dead, then I'm wasting my time. That's what he says. You can see him say it again in verse number 31. I die daily. Maybe maybe that's a bit metaphorical, but he says, I'm facing death on a regular basis. And if there's no resurrection from the dead, I'm wasting my time. Verse 32 I fought with beasts in Ephesus. If I saw a lion face to face, the book of Acts does not record that scenario, but perhaps there was a day when he stood in the amphitheater and God spared his life and he looks at a lion face to face, which was what happened to believers in that day. He says, if I stood in that amphitheater and I faced a lion and went almost to my death and God spared my life, did I just waste my time? Verse 32, if after the manner of men I fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantageth it me if the dead rise not? Instead, let us eat and drink. Let's just be merry, for tomorrow we die. So if there's no resurrection from the dead, everything you do spiritually is a waste of time. And so that's the question. Is it a waste of time? The answer is, well, if there's a resurrection from the dead... That's not wasting time at all because I have hope in my resurrection. Second question to the question. The second question is this What will my resurrected body be like? 
What will my resurrected body be like? It seems like, on the surface, an honest answer, but I think that Paul is making it as a skeptical answer. So let's look at verse 35, and we'll get his skeptical answer. Verse 35, but some men say, how will the dead raise up, and with what body do they come? I said that Paul takes this as a skeptical question, and I think I can... And I'll, I'll defend that in just a second. I can, I can almost hear him saying, somebody says with mocking, with what body will they raise? Think like this. If I die and you bury me and my body's in the ground for six months and then Jesus is... After six months, my body is mostly rotten. If you glance down to verse 43, he uses the word in verse 43, it is sown in dishonor. In other words, when you put my dead body in the ground, after a couple of days, you don't want to touch it. You don't want to have anything to do with it. It goes into the ground, and the mocking question would be, well, what body gets raised? Because if that body comes out, it will be a zombie, and nobody wants any part of that. And he's making fun of that kind of question. And I'll show you why I say he makes fun of it. Look at verse number 36. He answers the question, thou fool. What are you, stupid? That's what he's asking. Thou fool. Why would you ask this question? You're not going to be raised as a zombie. You're going to be raised different. So look at it in verse 35, uh, verse 36. That which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bare grain. It may chance of wheat or some other grain, but God giveth it a body as it pleaseth him, and to every seed his own body. So what will your body be like in resurrection? It will be different. In the example he gives, he says grain. We don't do a lot of grain planting here, but I'll just take watermelon or corn. When you plant a corn seed... What you plant in the ground is not the same as what comes up out of the ground. Now, they're related, but they're different. You say, no, pastor, it's the same. No, 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 follow me. You take that corn seed, you open the hole in the ground, you put the corn seed down in the ground, you cover it up. After a few weeks, do you come back and there's a giant corn seed up out of the ground? No. The leaf comes out. The stalk begins to grow, and that grows and grows and grows. And finally, later on, it puts a fruit, right? You follow me, right? So what you put in the ground, that body is different from the body that comes up out of the ground. That's the point he made. So don't be thinking, oh, I put my dead body in the ground, and later on, my dead dust body comes up out of the ground. No, it's going to be different. And he gives a couple of different examples from verses 39 down to verse 41. I'll just point at them. We won't read them all. You do see, beginning of verse 39, all flesh is not the same flesh. So you're going to have a different kind of body. And he names the different kinds of flesh, of men, of beasts, of fish, of birds, celestial bodies, terrestrial bodies, in other words, those in the sky and those on the ground. And the glory, verse 40, uh, the glory of the celestial one is different from the glory of the terrestrial one. They're different. Verse 41, you've got one of the sun and another one of the moon and another one of the stars, and even the stars themselves differ from each other. You have a lot of different kinds of bodies, is what he said. One star might twinkle, the other one moves. 
And you look at the stars, they're all different. Now come and add to it the bodies of human beings. And let's just be honest, the bodies of us as human beings while we're alive is different from each other now. So the body raised will be different from the body that is buried. And I think we should all be thankful for that. It's different. Look at verse 2. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised sown in weakness power it is sown a natural body it is raised a there's a natural body and there's a spiritual body different ways that your body is going to be raised you laid in grave the corruptible body able to rot and you will raise incorruptible unable to rot you are raised you are buried mortal. You are raised immortal, unable to die. You are sown, buried in dishonor. You are raised in more than honor, in glory. Oh, this is the glorification of your body. You will be raised like Him. Oh, that's a beautiful thing. Verse 45, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. That was Genesis 2 and verse 7. He, God took the dust ground and breathed into man the breath of life and man became a living soul and from Adam to us so the first man is made a living soul the last Adam that's Jesus was made a quickening spirit and so like Romans 5 said we were born into Adam first but then we were born again into Jesus and now that we're in Jesus we're not looking at a new body we're looking at a brand new way of thinking and a living soul he's quickened us he's made us alive Verse 46, how be it that not which is not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural. So you were given first a natural body, and afterwards that which is spiritual. And that's pretty straightforward. You were born as a baby in a natural body, but when you're resurrected, you'll be resurrected with a spiritual body. Now, honest question. What will that look like? Paul doesn't address that here. He does say you're going to be different. He does say it will be glorified. But then we see from 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, John gives us a statement about our glorified body. What will it be like? Here's 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him For we shall see Him as He is. So we have been buried in a physical body, raised in a spiritual body. Will you be able to recognize? That's a common question. Will we be able to recognize one another? Will they recognize the Christ? He was raised a spiritual body. He was the first fruits. And you say, but how 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 was Jesus the first fruits because Lazarus raised from the dead? No, Lazarus raised with his corruptible body to die again. Jesus raised with an incorruptible body, never to die again. Him first fruits, us the following, the rest of the harvest. We will raise with a spiritual body. So what is that like? John goes, I don't know. That was his answer. I don't know. It doth not yet appear what it shall be like, but when he comes, we will be like him. I don't know what that means. Some things that I pick up, maybe some hints. 
He walked through the wall. Will we walk through the wall? I don't know. Maybe that's an attribute of a spiritual body. I don't know. But I do think that we will be able to recognize one another because they recognize Jesus. And they trusted Him. They heard His voice. And they knew Him. And us too. I believe that that's the way it will look. But how does it fully look? I don't know. And even the Scripture tells us we don't know. The resurrected body will be free from sin and all of its effects, namely sickness and death, freed from it. For this mortal will put on immortality. So we simply cannot bring this broken bodily body of flesh before the presence of God. Look at verse number 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. So basically, why do you need to have a different body in resurrection? Why? Because you can't take this body before Him. This corruptible cannot inherit incorruption. I need a new body. And the beauty of His resurrection as the first fruit is that He will give us a new body. You see, the resurrection is our hope for our glorification too. It's been our hope in our salvation. It's going to be our hope in our glorification. And right now, it's also our hope in our sanctification. So how will this resurrection happen? That's our third question. How will this resurrection happen? And I see it in verses 20 to 28. I see it also in verse 51 to 57. And so I kind of need to bounce back and forth between them. Paul does this, by the way. Paul will start a thought, he'll go away and and explain, and then he'll come back to that thought. That's what he's done here, and that's why I couldn't just start with verse 20 and work my way through. So how will that resurrection happen? What will that look like? So in order for us to see it, big picture, come with me back to verse 20. How will this resurrection happen? Verse 20, but now is Christ risen from the dead... And become the first fruits of them that, and I church, I, I want you to see the word. Them that what? Slept. In my Bible, in verse 20, I have underlined them that slept. And then if you look back to verse 18, it ends with they also which are fallen asleep in Christ. So I also underlined, fallen asleep in Christ. And in my Bible, I've drawn an arrow from them that slept in verse 20 up to fallen asleep in Christ in verse 18. Now we unpacked the idea last week of falling asleep in Christ. But that bleeds over into today's sermon. Because for the believer, death is not permanent. So for the believer, those who put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, when they close their eyes in death, it's not the end. They are not separated from God. Instead, we close our eyes in death. Believer, you are asleep in Christ. Yes, you are present with Him, but your body is asleep. The picture is not dead and gone, but resting in sleep. That's the picture. Now the words in verse 20, and the reason that I connect this to verse 18, 
is because in verse 20, it might be misread that all who die sleep. Teen clarifies it. Only those who are in Christ sleep. That's important. Friend, if you've not put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no resurrection for you to look forward to. In fact, the resurrection of all the dead that's spoken of at the end of the book of Revelation, for those who are not believers, is a terrifying thought. For you will be resurrected the dead. Those who have not put their trust in Christ, Revelation says they will judgment before God, and those whose names are not found in the book of life will be cast into the everlasting. To put our trust in the Lord Jesus. John chapter 3 and verse 18 says, He that believeth on Him, that's on Jesus, is not condemned. Romans 8, 1, do you hear those words? There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Hear those words. If you put your trust in the Lord Jesus, you get everlasting life. You have not put your trust in Jesus. You are condemned already. He did not come into the world. This is verse 17 of John John chapter 3 and verse 17. He did not come into the world to condemn us. We were condemned already in our sin. He came to redeem us unto Himself. So friend, put your trust in Jesus. Therein lies your hope. And therein alone lies your hope. So verse 21, for since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of dead. That was Jesus. For in Adam all die. Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man after his order, Christ, the fruits, and afterward, they that are Christ at his coming. I wonder if you could say, I am Christ. Not I'm Christ, but I am Christ. Possessive. I belong to Him. I'm in Christ. And so first fruit is Christ from the dead, and those who will come in the harvest are those who belong to Him. Those who are in Christ. At His coming. Do you see it at the end of verse 23? When will the resurrection happen? Afterward, they that are Christ at His coming. So there was a time... The beginning of the book of Acts, when the Lord Jesus gathered those disciples together, He said, I'm going to send you forth to be witnesses. And then He raised up to heaven. And they stood around with their mouths wide open, looking at Him as He went up into the sky. And an angel came and appeared to the disciples. And He said, why? Hey, you men of Galilee, why do you stand here gazing up into the sky with your mouths wide open and the flies are going to come and land in your mouth? And that angel said, the same way you've watched him go up, the same way he will come. And we've been waiting for almost 2,000 years for that to come. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. A day is with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day, and with the Lord he's only been gone for two days. Let that sink in for a minute. For he who dwells outside of time does not count time like you and I. He has been long-suffering. 
And if you've put your trust in Christ, aren't you glad that He didn't come back before you put your trust in Christ? And if you're here this morning and you have not put your trust in Christ, oh, come to Him, for He is due back any day now. He will return. And at His coming, it will rise. Down to verse 51. Same chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 51. Behold show you a mystery. And the mystery, he's not saying you've got to go and find a key to unlock this and figure it out. No, this is just, it has never been explained before. So he explains it to the Corinthian church. God preserved it, and you and I still have it. Behold, I show you a mystery. Verse 51, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. That all is all who are in Christ. If you put your trust in Jesus, you will be changed. Now verse 52, how will this happen? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, trump, for the trumpet shall and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. That's the second time he said it. You better be paying attention. He said it at the end of verse 51, said it at the end of verse 52. You better be paying attention. We shall be changed. Who's going to change first? The dead in Christ. They will be changed first. So the dead in Christ, the trumpet shall sound, twinkling of an eye, and a moment, the dead in Christ will be changed. And then you and I, who are alive at that moment, you and I will also be changed. Some of us may not have to die. Let that sink in for a minute. Those who are dead in Christ have been planted like a corn of seed. Corn into the ground, and they are raised incorruptible, and we will be changed incorruptible in a moment. Verse 53, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Why? Because this corruptible body cannot go be with God. Verse 50, this corruptible cannot inherit incorruption. So I must have it put on. So verse 54. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. In other words, death, you lost. You're the loser, death. Let me illustrate this. I'll play out a scenario. And if the Lord tarries, the day will come when I will die. I have no idea if that's soon or later. If God will give me 30 years with you, church, I would love it. And I would love if God gives me 30 years and I can pastor you for 30 years. And I would love if I get to bury the majority of you before it's my turn. But if He decides that it's my time to go first, it's better to go be with the Lord than it is to be here and see the fruit of my labor. Those are the words of Paul. And so I will choose gladly better. If the day comes and you hear word that Matt died, don't believe him. Don't believe him. I'll tell you why. Don't believe him because in that moment when I close my eyes in death, I'm more alive than I've ever been alive. I'm alive with Jesus. Already leave my corruptible body behind and I'm already absent from the body and present with the Lord. 
That is a glorious moment that I look forward to. Death is not something to be feared if death is swallowed in victory. Death is not something to be feared. It's simply the door through which I walk to go be with Jesus forever. And I cannot wait to be with Jesus. And so I want to say this and have it on record for the day when it happens. If the Lord sees fit to take me to go be with Him before you, I want you to honor my request. Here's my request. Don't do a house cry. You say, you white and mono, same night. No, 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 no. Miss long blood time, no, miss House cry, you got meaning blowing in. Don't do a house cry. You come and visit my wife and give her a hug and tell her you love her and tell her you're looking forward to seeing me again too. And you come and hug one another and weep not as those who have no hope. Why? Because 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 exists. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, you know the verse. I hope you know the verse. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel, with a trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So if they say, Pastor Matt died, don't believe them. Pastor Matt's living better than he's ever lived. And I'll be with the Lord forever. And so when it comes time to put my body in a coffin box, save the money, get a cheap one. And I'll let my wife be the one who makes the decisions as to how the service goes. No can talk him in, we'll up the side. Let her be a part of this. It's a homegoing celebration pastoral staff come and ask Becky what she how she wants to do it and if you guys decide that you can't open the coffin and let people file by without them carrying on and acting like it's the end of the world keep the box covered and if you get a chance to see my dead body before they put me in the ground I ask that you come by and don't cry over me because I've already gone to be with Jesus so don't say, oh, Pastor Blumi, you lose me now, you go stop. No, 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 no. I want you to come by, pat me on the head. I'll see you later, Pastor. It's going to be okay. You see, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And if I've got nothing to worry about in this life, You see, that's what we were. You know what the greatest fear you've got? The greatest fear every one of us as a human being has got is the fact that I'm going to lose grip of this life. You're afraid. You name it. What are you afraid of? Afraid of the dark? You know why you're afraid of the dark? Because you're afraid the boogeyman in the dark is going to kill you. You're going to lose your life. You're afraid of heights? I am. You're afraid of heights? Because you're afraid you're going to fall off the roof and die. I did the first part. Thankfully, I didn't do the second part. You're afraid of whatever it is. You're afraid of getting in the salt water because you know somebody will swim. Now you fret, I'll die. Every one of our fears at the base core is death. So if death has been swallowed up in victory, I got nothing to be afraid of. So Paul says, I'll walk into Thessalonica and I'll preach the gospel, and they're going to. 
They're going to threaten me with death, so be it. It's okay, I'm happy to go and die. I, he stands in prison for two years, and he says, you know what, guys, I'm tired of wasting my time here in this prison. If you don't mind, go ahead and send me over to see Herod, or go see, uh, go see the, the emperor. I want to go to Nero. Let me go stand in front of Nero. Let him be the one that will judge me. And if he decides that I die off with my head, so be it. It's okay, because I, off with my head, at least I'm not wasting my time in this prison anymore. I will be with Jesus, which is much better. Then is brought to pass the saying, death is swallowed up in victory. You see, at the cross, Lord Jesus took our sin upon Himself, and then He allowed Himself to be laid in the grave. For three days, He laid in the grave as evidence that, yes, He was dead. And then on the third day, as an inside job, He defeated death and came out, defeated death, hell, and the grave. And He said, you've got nothing to worry about if you're in Me. Oh, I hope you're in Christ Jesus today. For being in Christ changes everything. So come back to verse 24. Paul's going to continue this story. What's it going to be like? Verse 24, Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. And by the way, that's the next step, prophetically speaking, if you look at all of Scripture, the next step that you and I have to look forward to in prophecy is the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And He will come. That could be at any moment. He will come. The dead in Christ will raise. You and I will be changed. It will happen in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. It will happen so fast you won't see it coming and you'll just go, wow, it just happened. And it'll be over. You'll be in a new body ever with the Lord. With those who have gone before, you will recognize them. You will be in a different body. You will be in a better glorified body and forever to be with the Lord. Oh, I have so much to look forward to. Believer, we have nothing to fear. Look at verse 26. The last enemy that is to be destroyed is death. So in Christ, we are crucified and our sins are atoned. And in Christ, we have new life and we have hope everlasting. Being in Christ is a big deal. So come back over to verse 54 again. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Answer, it is finished. Do you hear an echo of Calvary? There's no more sting. There's no more victory. He swallowed it up. Verse 56, The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You get the victory over death through Jesus. No other way. So thanks to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What was the punishment for sin in the garden? Death. What was the strength of sin? The law. What did Christ taste on the, on the cross? He tasted death for you and I. Now, today, the law says, have a look at the handwriting of ordinances. You'll never escape all of these ordinances 
You'll find out that you lost in this one and you came short in that one and you're full of sin in this one and the law has a lot of strength. But He took the handwriting of ordinances and nailed them to the cross. Oh, praise His name. And sin says you have wages that you've got to pay for the wages of sin is death. But the Lord Jesus said something else. He said it in John chapter 3 and verse 14. He said, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Whoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Oh, look unto Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. And the resurrection of Christ, I hope you've heard it throughout the sermon today, the resurrection of Christ gives hope for your coming resurrection and it will give strength to present spiritual walk. We've had a title for the sermon last week and this week. The Risen Christ. Our hope in life and death. We saw at the beginning of the sermon that if you do not believe, fully believe in the resurrection... You'll live a sinful life that will be a bad example to the world. Paul's words in verse 34 and 35, I speak this to your shame. That's the negative. There's a positive that goes along with it, though, and the positive is found in verse 58. For if you believe in the resurrection of Christ, it will change how you live. Remember what we said at the beginning? What you believe will impact how you act. Your life will be a result of what you believe. So if you believe in the resurrection of Christ, what will happen? Verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Friends, you don't believe in the resurrection? You say, yeah, I believe it because the Bible said it. And I, No, do you really believe it? If you really believe the resurrection of Christ, that means that you too will resurrect. And it's directly tied. It's the foundation of your salvation. But it will also create an impact in your life today as you leave from church and you go to be with your family. And the way you act around your family, the way, Dad, you talk to your family. You see, the Gospel should be changing your life. I'm excited by the way I look across our auditorium and I see people's lives who have been changed, who used to live one way, but now they live a different way. Paul, I see you shaking your head, brother. I watch as the gospel changes your life. Isaac, I listen as your wife says, this guy's a different guy because the gospel's transformed his life. Paul Dawanakira served the body this morning, spent all night long at the hospital with his wife last night, gets home this morning at four o'clock gets a church bus, fills it up with people for church, drives it out here, drops them off, and then he goes back home to go be with his wife for a couple of hours, and he's going to come back and pick people up. That's not the old Paul. I've met people who know the old Paul. He's a different guy. You know why? Because he believes the resurrection. Friend, if you believe the resurrection of Christ, it's going to change your life. I wonder if you believe in the resurrection this morning. It will change how you act. Father, I pray this morning that you would do a work in our hearts. Even now, as I close in prayer, Lord, I pray that you would cause us to think. Do I really believe this resurrection? 
For the day is coming when he who is the first fruits will come again. And when he comes, he will take us to be with him. And so, Lord, I look forward to the coming of Jesus, and I pray that in the meantime, that we would fully trust. Yes, you rose from the dead. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning that they would fully believe the resurrection of the dead. One day I too will be raised. And if death has been swallowed in victory, so has sin and so has been the handwriting of ordinances that have been against me. The law holds no power over me. Sin holds no power over me. Death holds no power over me. Satan holds no power over me. And so, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning. I pray for a change at the belief level so that we'll see a change at the action level. I'm going to ask quickly. I know that I've gone over time. You hold and bear with me. Could I ask this morning this question? Have you put your trust in the Lord Jesus? If there's one among us this morning, you say, Pastor, I'd love to talk to somebody about putting my trust in Jesus. Could somebody talk to me about that today? Would you just slip your hand up where you're at and I'll have somebody come and get you. You guys can go stand off on the side and talk. Anybody like that? You say, Pastor, I'd love to talk to somebody about putting my trust in Christ. I need to get saved today. Is there anybody like that? Just raise your hand. I'd love to have you see how you can get saved. You can be in Christ. Anybody like that? Father, you know our hearts. I pray that you would do a work in our lives. Allow our lives to be a result, our actions to be a result of what we believe. So thank you for your grace upon us. For it's in your beautiful name I ask these things. Amen.